Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Combos, where every week we'll be discussing a true crime ranging from serial killers to cold cases and everything in between, all while having a new weekly cocktail. We're your hosts, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Riley. This week we'll be talking about Catherine Knight, and our cocktail this week is a tequila sunrise. Riley, how are you liking it? Yeah, it's okay. It's alright, looks pretty. I'm not a big fan of orange juice, so it's not my favorite, but it was fun to make and it looks nice. I do want to give a quick warning before we jump into this case. There is a small portion of animal violence in this one. Um, I will give a warning when we get to it as well, just so if no one wants to hear it, they can skip ahead. But just so you guys know, that is in there. Um, So if you're ready, Riley, we're just going to jump right into it. All right, let's do it. So Catherine Knight was born in Tenterfield, New South Wales, Australia, on October 24th, 1955, which is actually Riley's birthday as well. Not 1955, but October 24th. He's <laughs> not, not that, old. that old. Her mother, Barbara, was married to Jack Rohan and had four sons, but she had an affair with a man named Ken Knight, who was a friend of her husband's living in a small town this was a major major scandal so this forced barbara and ken to leave town leaving their sons behind or her sons behind rather two of them staying with jack and two of them going to live with their aunt in sydney barbara had four children with ken after they moved away including twin girls one named joy and Catherine being the other one When Catherine was four, Jack passed away suddenly, and Barbara's two sons that lived with him moved in with her, Barbara, Ken, and Joy. Catherine's father was an abusive alcoholic who would sexually assault Barbara up to ten times a day. Holy crap. Barbara, in turn, would tell the twins vivid details of their sex life and how much she hated sex and how much she hated men. Which I don't think, you know... Maybe not the best conversation to be having with your young daughters. Uh, yeah, no, like, definitely not. Like, ever, honestly. Don't ever, please don't ever talk to you about your sex life with your children. Just <laughs> don't. <laughs> when Catherine was older, she confided in her mother that she was seeing a man who wanted her to partake in a strange sex act, but she wasn't comfortable and she didn't want to do it. And Barbara simply told her to, quote, put up with it and stop complaining. That's not exactly great advice. No. Barbara also often beat Catherine and Joy as well. So just awesome, supportive mom. Oh, totally. Just from the get-go. Catherine was also sexually assaulted by several members in her family, but she made it clear in several statements it was never, ever her father, and he had no idea that it was happening either. And this was consistent until she was about 11 or 12. Catherine has also always been obsessed with death. Obsessed with it. Obsessed. Since around the ages of four or five, which Uh, is super young. I don't even think I knew what death was at that age. Yeah, that's that's I just wanted to know, you know, play with my my Barbies, live my life. Nothing about death, ever. (laughs) She said that she just always found it attractive. Like a work of art, in a way. Attractive. That's not exactly what you want your five-year-old to say. Yeah, and she also loved how uncomfortable it made others when she talked about it, which clearly it's still working to this day because here we are. Yeah, major red flags. In high school, Catherine was known as a loner and a major, major bully. She assaulted many young boys in school, and she herself was actually harmed by a teacher who was acting in self-defense when Catherine attacked him. 
Another incident in school was Joy and Catherine were living, leaving school and arguing over who got to ride their bike home, seeing as they shared one between them. Joy had taken it in the morning, so naturally it was Catherine's turn. But Joy, being sisterly, tried to take the bike. Yeah. And Catherine then just beat the absolute crap out of her <laughs> in front of her okay. classmates, all for a bike. Over a bike. Now, I don't think people took this too much as a red flag because, you know, siblings. Yeah, siblings fight. Yeah, like, you know, my brother. Like how how beat up are we down talking a flight here? of stairs. I don't know. It just said, like, really beat her up. Okay. Everywhere just said, beat the crap out of her. So good, good. that's what I wrote. <laughs> but when Catherine wasn't having random out- outbursts of rage, she was actually a model student. She had great attendance, good grades, was very friendly, and extremely polite to teachers, you know, when she wasn't assaulting them. <laughs> I'm struggling them. to understand the friendly part, but all right. She was even known to take home, like, injured birds and squirrels and nurse them back to health. What? Yeah. This is kind of a little mm-hmm. odd. She left school at the age of 15 before she learned to read or write. Now, I just want to say, I know that school in the 60s and the 70s probably went at a different pace than it did to when we were in school but i don't know how you make it through school all the way to 15 without knowing how to read or write yeah no that's that sounds like kind of basics to me yeah but either way she got a job as a cutter in a clothing factory i'm guessing that just meant she cut fabric yeah but she quickly left that job for another job of cutting oval which is a variety of meats at an abattoir. For those of you who don't know, an abattoir is basically just a slaughterhouse. So she described this as her dream job. That's her dream job. Yep. Her I mean, brother. Hey, respect, but also. Well, her brothers had worked there. Her aunts and uncles have worked there. Okay. It ran so in the family. Like a... It was just expected that she worked there. So when she got it, she was proud of herself. Yeah, she was happy. Sense. So she just started as a boner or (laughs) that's what it's called boning the art of boning which was basically just cutting of massive layers of fat to expose muscle and then separate the chunks of meat for processing Uh, all right essentially a lot of people at this stage described her as weird and scary this is a warning there is a little bit of animal violence here so if you don't want to hear just skip ahead 20 seconds she would nick the arteries of animals just to watch the blood pour out and to hear the animals scream before oh, she killed them. Horrifying. Yeah. She quickly got a promotion, and along with this promotion, Catherine was given her own set of butcher knives, which, when were not at work with her, were hung and displayed above her bed. <laughs> above her bed. Just a nice garland yeah, of knives, no, just right no. above your headboard. What everybody wants to see. <laughs> oh my God. All she right. did this all the way up until the day she was arrested. Good God. Yeah. What are you thinking about a little uh, update to our bedroom? What do you think? Hard pass. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. thank you. All right. When asked why she hung the knives, she said, just in case I ever need them. <laughs> Just in case you need your butcher knives. I got it. You know, just in case. I don't know if she was like from the get-go of getting this job or something. She was like, I'm going to be killing people. Or if she thought she was going to get attacked. Catherine knew something that we didn't, apparently. Hey, but, you know, at least the job sort of fits what she was... Yeah, and actually, the next part I'm about to say is police actually think that Catherine working at the abattoir saved her from killing someone 
earlier because it actually temporarily curved her blood loss. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. You're one step ahead Local of me. Local butcheries saving <laughs> lives. One person at a time. <laughs> So Catherine met David Kellett in 1973. He was a co-worker at the abattoir and a hard, heavy drinker. Okay. Before working with Catherine, he worked on railways. During his career, he watched his best friend get killed during a shunting accident, which shunting is basically the sorting of cars to make complete trains. So basically organizing cars where to go in a train assembly line. And he was also present when a train hit a school bus, killing six children. Oh, my God. In which he helped rescue the remaining injured children and then also helped recover the bodies of the children who unfortunately didn't make it. So I think after that, I'd probably be drinking hard, too. Yeah. If I'm honest. I'm sure that there's some scarring. Some PTSD for sure. Yeah, definitely. After David left the railway job, he started working at the abattoir and became friends with Catherine's brother, who introduced David to Catherine. And he apparently even dabbled in some sexual relations with her twin as well. Okay. So, just, you know, all the siblings. If David ever got into any altercation at work, Catherine was right there to back him up 24-7. She was ready to go to fight anyone who tried to step to her man. A true definition of a ride or die. Uh, yeah, sounds like it. Catherine and David quickly got married in 1974, only a year after meeting. David had actually proposed to her when he was drunk, and she took it seriously and wouldn't let him back out of it. Oh, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Their wedding entrance was both of them drunkenly pulling up on Catherine's motorcycle together. (laughs) And as soon as they arrived, Catherine's mother, Barbara, pulled David aside and said to him, quote, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the (laughs) wrong way. (laughs) Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. So playing up is an Australian way of saying cheating. So don't ever think to cheat on her. So imagine your soon-to-be mother-in-law, haven't even walked down the aisle yet, you haven't even married this woman, your soon-to-be mother-in-law coming up to you and being like, by the way, man, don't mm, choose wisely. Yeah, and honestly... Imagine we're getting married and my mom came up to you and said that. I'd be... Well... Well. Well. (laughs) My mom would say that. (laughs) Nonetheless, pretty terrifying, especially considering wasn't even a threat by her it was probably genuine yeah well surprise surprise her mom didn't lie and (laughs) Catherine attempted to strangle david to death on their wedding night oh wow so she wasted no time when asked why she strangled david her response was that they had only had sex three times and she wanted to have sex at least five times because her parents had sex five times on their wedding night and she wanted to be just like them every part of that sentence was messed up all of it what a strange thing Not to admire Not only did her parents say that they've had sex five times on their wedding night but that she had to beat it or else she was gonna murder this guy <laughs> yeah just already i smell a divorce coming the marriage was scary and violent says david's sister sandy who moved in with them temporarily. Sandy said that Catherine seemed bipolar, 
One minute she would be delightful, walking around the house, singing, humming, and then would absolutely lose it and get this crazy superhuman strength. She swears that Catherine was strong enough to actually throw David across the room if she wanted to. Sandy also claimed that Catherine had weird little moments that after she was arrested, she thought back and realized that they were red flags. An example being every time Catherine was driving, if a dog was crossing the street, she would swerve out of the way to try to hit it. Uh, You know, honestly, I kind of do the opposite. I feel like that's pretty normal. Yeah. You know, saying she hated dogs psychopath alone just okay, for hating yeah. dogs so she's she's already a write-off but mm-hmm. when she was pregnant with david's child she burned all of david's clothes and shoes and then cracked him across the head with a frying pan all because he was in a darts competition and got to the final round which caused him to come home later than he said he would be home what <laughs> After she hit him with the frying pan, David ran out of the house to a neighbor's house and collapsed in their front hall when they opened the door. His neighbor said there was so much blood she was sure that he had been hit in the head with an axe that it looked like his head had been split in two. All over a darts competition. Mm -hmm. Later at the hospital, he was treated for an extremely fractured skull, but David didn't press charges because she manipulated him into dropping everything. (laughs) Okay. Catherine gave birth in May of 1976 to a daughter she named Melissa, who unfortunately also fell to the abuse of Catherine. Sandy one night heard Melissa as a baby screaming in the bathroom, and when she opened the door, she saw Catherine holding Melissa under the bath faucet with scolding hot water pouring over her. Oh my god. Luckily, Catherine didn't see Sandy, and when Sandy told David that she saw this, he told her, don't tell Catherine, she'll kill you. Shortly after giving birth, David actually left Catherine for another woman. After this, Catherine was seen walking down Main Street, pushing Melissa in a stroller violently, throwing the stroller, like, side to side. Like, you know how, like, sometimes you just sway the stroller to relax and, like, she was whipping it. That people were sure that she was going to throw the stroller just into traffic. That's how hard she was whipping it side to side. Really? So she was taken and admitted to a hospital for severe postpartum depression. And she recovered for about six to seven weeks in the hospital. Okay. Like, that's how severe her depression was. Yeah. Right after being released, like, the day of, she got Melissa and put her, Melissa was two months old at the time, put her on the train tracks before train was due to pass and just left her there. Oh, my God. Luckily, a man known in town as Old Ted happened to be walking by and saw or heard Melissa and grabbed her literally two minutes before the train came. I'm liking this guy. We love old Ted. Old Ted. Old Ted all the Good way. Guy. Old Ted for president. Catherine was then found in town swinging an axe around threatening to kill people. So surprisingly, she was arrested and sent back to the hospital to be evaluated, but apparently magically recovered and signed herself out the same day. I have trouble believing that. I have no idea how that happened or she got away with that. Yeah, imagine swinging an axe around town and um, 
putting your kid on the train tracks that too and she just got sent to a mental hospital and she was like i'm fine and they were like okay yeah we believe you that's right Mm, i don't buy it after releasing herself Catherine went to a neighbor's house and told them that melissa was sick and asked them to take her to the hospital and they agreed because you know someone comes i don't have a car my kid's sick i need to go to the hospital wait she got the kid back yes she got the kid back yes all right so when the neighbor the neighbor's teenage daughter tried to help put melissa in her car seat at this time Catherine pulled out one of her butcher knives and slashed the teenager across the face what and then took the family hostage and demanded them to take her to queensland to david's mother's house where she was certain he was staying oh boy and the family agreed, you know, they were in yeah, danger. they didn't really have a, mm-hmm. another choice. The family convinced Catherine along the way to stop at a service station, which she agreed to. And then they asked her to release the youngest son who had terrible, terrible asthma and was kind of panicking. And they didn't want him to have an asthma attack. Makes sense. To which she also agreed. The young boy managed to find help and call the police. And Catherine was actually still at the service station when the police arrived. She was swinging a metal pipe around at the station workers. It is said that she was threatening them because they had actually fixed David's car months earlier, which allowed him to leave her. Oh, how dare you? So basically, if you didn't fix his car, he wouldn't have left me. That's not how it works, Catherine. I don't... (laughs) I think he would have just found another car. The police arrested Catherine, shockingly. Amazing. And checked her into a mental institution. She confessed that she was trying to get to Queensland to murder David and his mother. Why would you confess to that? You don't even know the half of the story of this girl, man. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. This entire story has been wild. Hearing this news, David decided he needed to return to her. You're kidding me. Nope. So he heard, yeah, she was going to kill me, so I need to return. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I'm sorry. If I had a kid with you or not, I'm leaving you. Mm, yeah i can't bl- i can't blame you <laughs> sorry for that. about it so Catherine was released to the care of david and his mother florence which why what? <laughs> when david and his mom checked Catherine out of the hospital they drove to Catherine's mother's house because she had melissa so they were going to pick her up right when they arrived there barbara Catherine's mother came out and just out of nowhere reached through the car window which was open and just punched david in the face and just kept punching him this led to Catherine getting out of the car and then punching her and knocking her out and then they took melissa and left it's never said why she just randomly started attacking david but apparently the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree because what yeah (laughs) In March of 1983, Catherine and David had another daughter named Natasha, and then Catherine left David. She moved Uh to Aberdeen, into her parents' house, then to Muswell Brook, and then she returned and worked at the abattoir, but then hurt her back and essentially got workers' comp for the rest of her life and moved back to Aberdeen. Catherine then met 38-year-old David Saunders in 1986, After a few months of dating, David moved in with Catherine and her children, but he kept his old apartment just in case. So from the get-go, he's like, I should keep this. I have a a backup plan just in case. 
Catherine threw David out constantly for no reason, just always told him to leave. And every time he would go back to his apartment where she would follow him immediately and beg him to come back to the house with her. So very bipolar, as we can see. Yeah. In May of 1987, I'm just going to stop here and state that this is another animal violence moment. So again, if you guys don't want to listen to it, again, just skip ahead 20, 30 seconds. In May of 1987, during an argument about him possibly cheating on her, she cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo puppy for no reason other than to show him what she would do to him if he ever tried to cheat on her and then knocked him out with a frying pan, which seems to be the weapon of her choice. Who are you, Yeah, keep hands away from her, but also, Jesus, what a messed up human being. Mm -hmm. After this, she went to her sister's house to tell her that she killed David. Not because she actually believed she killed David, but because she loved to see the chaos it ensued when she told people that. What? She told people... I was telling my sister and other people that I killed him because I liked seeing the panic in them. And then she also later said that she was actually planning on killing David and just wanted to see how everyone would react. That's the dumbest idea. Mm -hmm. In June of 1988, she had a daughter with David named Sarah, which prompted David to buy a house. You know, you have a kid, you buy a house. Catherine decorated this entire house in animal skin, horns, skulls, animal traps, stuffed dead animals, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. Who is this woman? I My mean, God. everywhere. The ceiling. Everywhere. I don't she did not like leave pictures us. of this or anything, are there? I did try to find some and I couldn't. Ah, oh, that's too bad. She did not leave anything uncovered. Oh yeah. Catherine and David got into another argument, shocking, and she stabbed him in the stomach with scissors. Was there a frying pan? No, but before that, they had had another argument, and she hit him in the face with an iron. Ah. That was on. That was on, okay. And he actually had the iron burn on his face for weeks. Are we talking like a like cartoon? The ho- like the Home Alone kind of? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so, but after he got stabbed in the stomach with scissors, he got the right idea and he got the hell out of there. Yeah, he's like, yeah, no, that's that's where I draw the line. You've hit me in the, in the head with a frying pan, an iron, but you know what? The scissors to the stomach, that's it. Yeah. You killed my dog, but stabbing me, I will not have. <laughs> Jesus. He went back to his apartment and then eventually did go back to see his daughter because Catherine still did have custody. How the hell? I don't know. And then realized when he got there that Catherine had actually cut up all of his clothes. So he left left again and went into hiding. Catherine threatened everyone who knew David trying to find him, but no one would tell her anything. Whenever her children asked her where he was, Catherine would just go, he's dead, I killed him. Okay. Many months later, David came back again to try to see his daughter and found out that Catherine had actually flipped the story and made him seem like the crazy one. And she had an AVO against him, which is an apprehended violence order, basically a restraining order. Okay. Kind of. In 1997, Catherine then met 43-year-old John Chillingworth, who was an old co-worker at the abattoir, and she quickly became pregnant. 
She gave birth in 1998 to a boy they named Eric, and she was with John for three years. And it wasn't all too violent, besides a couple loud arguments here and there, but Catherine left him because she had an affair with a man named John Price. So it seems that as long as she's the one leaving the men, it's okay. But when they try to leave her, it's a no-no. Not allowed. So John Price, the second John of our story here. John Price had three children of his own, Rosemary, Rebecca, and John Jr. And everyone who knew him called him a terrific bloke, which isn't a term we use here, but still sounds really cute. Apparently, he was a great guy. Everyone liked him. Was just really, really nice. All right. After his divorce to his ex-wife, one of his children stayed with his ex-wife, and the other two moved out with him. Now, it's not said, but I'm pretty sure Rosemary stayed with his ex. Okay. Because from everything that I've read, most of the stuff that has gone on with him and Catherine involved Rebecca and John Jr. So, even though John was completely aware of all of Catherine's violent attacks, like, he knew, she told him everything... He still let her move in with him. Why? I don't know, man. This woman gets away with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. He was making decent, steady money at his job, and besides some violent arguments the first bit of their relationship, he said that life was just a bunch of roses. His children were not overly fond of Catherine. They've said that she was rude to them and said mean things in passing, but never when John was around, so he was clueless. So if they ever said, Catherine's mean, Catherine would say, I never said that, and he would just believe her. But she did always like his daughter, Rosemary. She admitted that she was like, she saw her as her own daughter. Okay. In 1998, Catherine and John continuously fought over his refusal to marry her. He told her that he was just in it for the sex and to get used to it, which, yeah, mean. But, you know, just leave him. Yeah. Just say, "Mm, bye. One day, she found John's will and saw that he left everything to his ex-wife and children. After that, she demanded $10,000 from him and said, and I'll leave quietly. I'll leave you alone for the rest of your life. Which um, he said no. (laughs) Shocking. So to get revenge, she filmed all of these things in John's house that he supposedly stole from work. But they were actually just old expired medical... like kits that were sent off to the local dump and he went and took them back okay but she filmed it all and sent it to his boss and he got fired he worked there for 17 years and she got him fired unbelievable another thing Catherine did after she found the will was she would just be mean to his kids after like one time she actually sat down john's daughter rebecca and told her that she was in contact with her mother rebecca's mother and that she told Catherine that john wasn't rebecca's father and that it was just some random guy which obviously wasn't true but she was just trying to start drama john kicked Catherine out the same day that she sent the video to her boss when she got home from work or wherever she was as you do Mm -hmm. makes sense but a few months later they rekindled their relationship. How does this keep happening? And got back together, but John never let her move back in. He was like, okay, you can have me fired, but you're not living in my house. <laughs> the fights only got worse and more consistent. Almost all of John's friends stopped talking to him. They wanted nothing to do with him as long as he was dating Catherine. 
in February of 2000, John finally cut off all contact with Catherine and banished her from his life. The fights were horrible. One even ended up with her stabbing him in the chest. And he had en- enough. The relationship was over. But was it with scissors? <laughs> it didn't say. Ah. On February 29th, he tried to file a restraining order against Catherine. And the police informed him that he wouldn't be able to take her to court until three weeks later. In which he responded, I may be dead by then. Little did he know he was actually halfway through the last day of his life. Oh my god. He told his co-workers, if I don't come to work tomorrow, Catherine has probably killed me. His co-workers told him not to go home. Some even offered to let him like crash at their house, but John declined. He was like, no, my kids are at home. Catherine could hurt them. I would rather die than Catherine hurt my kids. So he went home. But when he got home, he had found out that Catherine had actually sent the children to a sleepover. But they didn't know everything that was happening between John and Catherine. They didn't know that he was trying to get a restraining order. So to them, Catherine sending them to a sleepover, they thought this was still dad's girlfriend. It didn't matter. But John obviously was aware of everything that was happening. So I find it strange that he wasn't weirded out that Catherine sent them away. Run. But anyways, so he came home, noticed his children weren't home. He decided to go over to his neighbor's house to hang out, you know, some drinks, some banter, the typical. Right. And he returned home around 11 and fell asleep. During the time that John was at the neighbor's, Catherine stopped in and saw her own children and made a little home video. In the video, she's hugging them all and she's kissing them all and telling them things like her items that they could have. Like, you know my favorite watch? You can have that watch. Like, it was like a weird version of a will, kind of. Yeah, that's... Like, she was expecting something to happen. Catherine then arrived at John's house a little while later while John was sleeping. She watched a little TV, took a shower, put on some sexy lingerie, and then went and woke him up, and they had sex. Which... (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) If my psychotic ex woke me up in the middle of the life, the night, the one I just tried to get a restraining order from, the one who stabbed me in the chest. And also the one that uh, you kicked out of your house. That just broke into my house. (laughs) I wouldn't be like, let's do it. (laughs) But anyways, they had sex. Then John fell asleep. The next day at 7 a.m., John didn't show up to work. So his co-workers had become concerned neighbors were also concerned because his car was still in the driveway and he always left extremely early for work was always the first one in the building basically everyone knew something was wrong right so john's boss sent someone over to see what was up both the neighbor and the co-worker knocked on the door no answer they knocked on the back door no answer they knocked on his bedroom window no answer they then noticed blood on the front door and called the police immediately Police arrived at the house and they broke through the back door. The police found an absolute horror scene. And Catherine, unconscious from overdosing on a bunch of pills. She was being taken out of the stre- on a stretcher of John's home when John's children arrived. As she was being loaded into the ambulance, she looked at them and gave them a massive evil smile. And they instantly knew something had happened, which unfortunately they were right about sometime between midnight and 6 a.m catherine came over 
had sex with John, and then stabbed him with one of her butcher knives while he was sleeping. He woke up and ran out of the house terrified as Catherine chased him. He managed to open the front door and get a bit outside, as was proven by the blood on the front door. But he either stumbled back in or he collapsed and Catherine took him back in. It's unsure because there was no witness. Yeah. But it is said that he died in the front hallway. It was revealed in the autopsy that John was stabbed 37 times, both in the front and the back of his body. After this, Catherine left and went to an ATM and took out $1,000 from his bank account and then returned to the house. This is where it gets pretty graphic and gory. So if that's not your cup of tea, this one's not for you, essentially. After John had died... Catherine then skinned his body and hung his skin from a meat hook that she had placed in the archway of his living room. They described it as a bloody wetsuit. It was so perfectly removed in one piece that when the police entered, they legit thought is a wetsuit that you go like scuba diving in. Oh my god. She decapitated his head and dismembered his body and cooked it with some vegetables and gravy and served it up on two plates in the dining room with notes beside each plate addressed to John's children. Besides Rosemary, because remember, she loved her. I couldn't find anywhere what the notes said exactly. It's not anywhere. But basically, it boiled down to if I can't have your father, neither can you, essentially. AKA, she was going to have John's children eat him. Oh my god. They also found knives stabbed through pictures of the children's face. Again, not Rosemary's. They found a third serving of the meal tossed into the backyard lawn for some reason. They think maybe Catherine actually tried to eat it herself and couldn't stomach it, so she threw it outside. They found John's head in a pot with some vegetables. The contents were still warm. So she had, like, just turned it off. So she had, like, just, just overdosed when they got there. Oh, okay. Afterwards, Catherine actually positioned what was left of his body with John's left arm draped over a a 1.25 liter bottle of pop with his legs crossed. I'm not sure what kind of pose she was trying to put, but it was clear that he didn't die that way is what the point is, you know? And they found a handwritten note from Catherine on top of a picture of John. And the note read, I'm going to read it how it was written, and then I'll say what it meant. Time you got back, Jonathan, for wrapping my doubter. You too, Beck, for Ross, for little John, now okay with little John's dick, John Price. Uh, Yes. (laughs) So I'll explain. Not exactly great at the grammar. but So basically what she was saying was it was time for Jonathan her to get back at Jonathan for raping her daughter which was never proven or mentioned or anything and then Beck is Rebecca John's daughter little John John Jr and yeah that's just what the note said it's confusing as to why she wrote it the police said it made absolutely no sense and you know they didn't know why she wrote it she never learned to read and write remember so uh, that's true, true. why it was just an absolute disaster but basically they didn't use it in court because they just you know what are you even yeah what are you what are you attempting you know to say here 
So Catherine was at the hospital for seven days afterwards, after her overdose, claiming she had no memory of what happened. But she said the last violent encounter she had with John was when she had stabbed him six months earlier. In the interrogation, she said that John's the one who actually started the argument that he was on the phone with somebody, got mad, and then got off the phone and started yelling at her. And she turned her knife to point at him because she was eating dinner. So she was cutting food turned her knife to point at him to be like you know don't start with me and what she said was and it it got him just got him it just got him just got him she said that she was pointing i didn't realize how close he was standing to me and it got him and he actually leaned into it and then she said i just hadn't had my eyes checked in a while and my glasses were old and then she just got really reassuring to the interior she's like but don't worry i've gotten glasses since then so, um, as somebody who works with eyes, can you confirm or deny that this can? You gotta result be in your your depth your depth perception has got to be way off for that to be happening. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine offered uh, to plead guilty to manslaughter, but it was rejected. She was charged on March second, two thousand one, for the murder of John Price, to which she pled not guilty. She went to trial on October fifteenth, two thousand one. When the trial started, the judge offered the jury to be excused if they did not want to see the pictures or the video taken of the crime scene, as they were obviously extremely disgusting and graphic, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Six jury members left the room, and then seven more left after the video began, which was the first time this was offered in Australian history. Now, you can leave the room in the courtroom if you are just in the audience. Yeah. But as a juror, you yeah, need to be there to see everything Yeah. because you need to make a sound decision. So that just proves and gives you a, a look at how bad it was that the judge was offering this up before the video even started. Yeah, that's saying, a bit you, unprecedented, if I'm honest. Yeah. He, what the deal was, was they were allowed to leave, but they would be described in great detail what was shown, but they wouldn't have to physically see it. Okay. But still, like, you know, it just shows you how gruesome it was that the judge was just like if you want to go go the next day Catherine changed her her plea to guilty therefore the jury was dismissed that poor jury Mm -hmm. the judge decided to call it for the day and have Catherine evaluated by a professional just to make sure that she was sound mind and she knew what she was doing by pleading guilty like, she, he wanted to make sure she understand, like, just so you know, if you plead guilty, you are saying you murdered and dismembered this man. Because why would she flip yeah. like that so suddenly? No, that is a little odd. She was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, but was deemed sane. They decided this on two accounts. First being, she went to the ATM to take out money after murdering him. If she actually went crazy and snapped, she would have killed him and then maybe overdosed and that would be that she wouldn't kill him and then be like oh let me pop out to the atm real quick take out myself a nice thousand dollars and come on back here to finish the job and the second count being that Catherine's brother testified against her oh Catherine had told her brother three weeks before the murder of john price that she was planning to kill him and that she she said he said she said quote I'm going to murder him in such a crazy, bizarre, horrendous way they'll believe I went insane. 
So she was going to try and claim insanity. Oh, and it backfired. He sold her ass out. Good. He, he said, not today. <laughs> Catherine claimed that she still didn't remember what happened or why she did it and said she believed she could never do such a thing. But she pled guilty this anyways. This woman has butcher knives above her bed. I don't she believe for a second guilty. that she couldn't do this. I don't understand. She's like, I can't do this, but like guilty. Well, I think that maybe she said that she was like she changed her plea to guilty so that she would get that insanity plea. Maybe. Maybe. Mm, maybe you might be right. No reason was ever given from Catherine about why she changed her mind and pled guilty. At the hearing, the lawyers asked if Catherine could be excused so she didn't have to listen to what she did because it may break her. Girl, she was present. <laughs> she was <laughs> <did> there. <laughs> so the court obviously said no. <laughs> okay. When someone took to the stand to describe the skinning and decapitation, Catherine went crazy. She was screaming. She was hysterical. She was crying that they actually had to bring in someone to sedate her in court that's how insane she was acting okay on november 8th 2001 Catherine was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole including never to be released written on her file by the judge i think that's the first time i've ever heard of anything like that Mm -hmm. this was the first time this sentence was ever given to a woman in australian history In June of 2006, Catherine tried to appeal the sentencing, stating that life in prison without the possibility of parole is way too harsh of a sentencing for murder. Uh, You skinned a man alive. Uh, Well, not alive. (laughs) Not alive, but nonetheless, you tried to feed your ex to his children. You messed. (laughs) You uh, you deserve to be there. (laughs) So this was not... surprisingly rejected with the judge saying this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society Catherine is now 65 years old she's only 65 mm -hmm, and is incarcerated at clarence correctional center and she got branded the name the australian hannibal and still has refused to accept what she did to this day all right and that's the story of Catherine Knight. <laughs> All right. So, you know, if she's working at a slaughterhouse, guys, <laughs> she may not be the one. Well, I mean, after she's hit you with a frying pan once or twice, then you, you got to reevaluate things. Maybe don't get back with her. Yeah. Just. Or moreover, if she kills your puppy at any point, stay away. There's just so much that happened in this case that I'm like, why? She tried to kill her daughter by leaving her on the train tracks, and they were just like, it's I. We all make mistakes. (laughs) You know, she got custody of her kid back immediately. In what world? And then also, this guy was like, oh, she's coming to kill me, and she had a mental break. I should go back to her. David. (laughs) Why? Stop it, David. (laughs) Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, please make sure to download the podcast. It helps a bunch. We're going to be posting a new episode every week. Our sources for this episode will be linked in the episode description as usual. If you guys want to read or watch the documentaries, to find us 
To find more of us, or if you want to get the recipes for the cocktails we have each episode, please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Crime Convos Podcast and on Twitter at Crime Convos Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you guys next week with a new crime and a new cocktail. Bye. Bye.